turn Thank to you. me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word, and let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men, that I may obey your precepts. May your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Yep, that's the way it is. Okay, so we got that, and we got, let's see, let me pull this out really quickly and see. Um, uh, John, please continue to keep Burke's on John in prayer, and uh, we'll just, you know, just keep hoping for good news. He had some fluid taken out of his stomach today, was it, or yesterday? Today, today okay. Um, and then uh, Becky, well, she's better. She was in the hospital. Uh, she still is, I believe, but she had an obstruction, and uh, but she's better now, so we'll just thank the Lord for that. And uh, let's see here. What else? Um, wow. Uh, I'm just so tired that I can't even think. Um, it's Burke's fault. I was sleeping on the floor over there drooling, and he walked in at thir 14 minutes early today, so... I'm kidding, of course. Anyway, um, August 3rd is today. Let's see here. Uh, this was, Hidako's not here yet. She's officially retired. You'd think she'd be here on time, but I had her mowing the lawn, cutting all the trees, and so uh, she's obviously late because of that. So we'll, we'll give her a break. Um, let's see here. August 3rd, this was not a boxing match. It was a struggle of life and death. In the latter half of the 19th century, China had opened itself to foreign missions because of Western political and military pressure. The results, however, were not all positive. Disease accompanied the missionaries and life expectancy dropped to 40. There was much violence and frequent rebellions. By 1898, the young emperor of China, Kuang Su, determined that the only hope for his nation was Christian, moral, and social reform. He invited an influential Baptist missionary to the place to help him draw up his plans. But the very day the missionary arrived at the palace, the emperor was overthrown by a secret Chinese society that feared he would sell out to foreigners. The secret society called itself Righteous and Harmonious Fists, but Westerners nicknamed these Chinese the Boxers. There we go. The Boxers were desperate to retain the old pagan Chinese religions, forming secret cells across China. They performed black magic rituals and even human sacrifices to temple idols. Following the coup, the boxers installed the emperor's mentally ill aunt as empress. They persuaded her that foreign missionaries were gouging out the eyes of Chinese children to use in the making of their medicine. That the, it sounds like liberals. What they do, they project on everybody else. Okay, that's what we're seeing here. These people are conducting human sacrifices, and yet they're blaming the Christians. So typical thinking on people from the left. Um, uh, let's see here. The messengers to southern China altered one Chinese character in the decree to make it read protect instead of kill foreigners. So the bloodletting was confined to the north. When the disobedience of the messengers was discovered, their bodies were cut in half. Most local Chinese officials sought to protect the missionaries. Their magistrate at Frenchow in North Shandi was especially friendly to missionaries, and a missionary couple living there invited five missionaries from other areas to stay with them in July when the mob violence was at its peak. However, no sooner had the missionaries arrived than the vindictive provincial governor appointed a new magistrate for Fenchow. The new official ordered the missionaries out of Fenchow and gave them armed guards, supposedly for their protection. 
the missionaries apparently could read the handwriting on the wall. On August 3rd, 1900, Lizzie Atwater, an American missionary wife and mother, wrote to her family, Dear ones, I long for a sight of your dear faces, but I fear we shall not meet on earth. They beheaded 33 of us last week in Taiwan. I am preparing for the end very quickly and calmly. The Lord is wonderfully near and he will not fail me. I was being restless and excited while there seemed to be a chance of life, but God has taken away that feeling and now I just pray for grace to meet the terrible end bravely. The pain will soon be over and oh, the sweetness of the welcome above. My little baby will go with me. I think God will give it to me in heaven and my dear mother will be so glad to see us. I cannot imagine the Savior's welcome. Oh, that will compensate for all these days of suspense. Dear ones living near to God and cling closely to earth. Uh, I'm sorry, dear ones live near to God and cling less closely to earth. There's no other way in which we can receive that peace from God that passeth understanding. I must keep calm and still these hours. I do not regret coming to China, but I am sorry I have done so little. My married life, two precious years, has been so very full of happiness. We will die together, my dear husband and I. Twelve days later, the guards assigned them to the magistrate, murdered the seven missionaries and their children. How would you react if you were in a similar situation to that of Lizzie Atwater? We all know that we are going to die someday. It is just a question of when and how. Do you share Lizzie's assurance of going to heaven? Well, yes, absolutely. I think everybody in here does. Um, if it was as a missionary overseas, I'd probably yield just as she did there. If it comes to a point in this nation where we are faced with that, there will be a completely different reaction from Charlie Garrett. Uh, I've been saving certain things for that day. Um, just as is destined that each person dies only once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died only once as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Um, the reason why I can say that without flinching at all is because we have what's called a constitution in the United States of America. There are certain things that we are allowed by that that are being taken away from us and that means that it is unconstitutional. Okay, They cannot take away your rights and therefore you have a right to defend your rights. Whereas if you're in China, you're to do whatever they have and I wouldn't worry about it at all. Send me home. But um, that's just the way I feel about these things. If you feel differently, that's fine. Um, okay, got that and we got that and we did that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to share in your goodness. How good it is to know you, to uh, know that you have died for the sins of the world, including people like me and those that are gathered here that are so undeserving of your grace, and yet we understand that that is all that anybody will ever be able to get to heaven by is by your grace through the giving of Jesus. So we thank you for that. We thank you that Messiah has come and he has accomplished all things according to your plan so that we have that sure and full blessed assurance of eternal glory in your presence. And Lord, <clears throat> we thank you for our visitors that are here today. It's so good to see their faces, and we pray that they'll be safe and content as they uh, drive back home and that they get home safely this evening or whenever they go back. And uh, for right now, we're just very grateful to you for the chance to worship you, to get into your word, and to do so, at least for now, freely in this nation. And uh, thank you. Thank you for that, and we love you. We praise you, and we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
All right, I just said that we had some visitors. It's John and Shauna and their beautiful daughter are all here. They come once about every two or three months and they drive all the way from Dundee, Florida. And if you want to know how far that is, just go to a map and type in Dundee and then Sarasota and you'll see they come a long way. Uh, they were out swimming in the ocean today and he said that water is really, really warm. And uh, yesterday, I, all over it. yeah, hurricane. That's that's. It's like a magnet for hurricanes when it's this warm. But I uh, yesterday I was so tired from uh, just doing work. I said I'm going out and jumping off the dock, and it was so nice. I don't like the cold. I don't like any cold at all. But when I go out and like June is still too cold for me, isn't it? Sergio will come out and I'm 10 minutes in that water and I got to get out. But uh, that's still only about 85 degrees. But now it's up to 90, 92 or something. And I'm like, that's good. So um, do fish sweat? Fish don't sweat. Okay. I don't. Check. I have no idea. No idea. Uh, I think you are out of order. I am. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, we're in the book of... 1 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 5, and we've only got a couple pages to go, so we might be done. Be. We might be done today. We'll see. We're in verse 511. Yes, but I want to go back to the beginning of the paragraph. That's wonderful. Four. But you, brothers, are not in the darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. Five. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. Six. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Seven. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Eight. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Nine. For as God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 10. He died for us so that whatever we are, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other just as in fact you are doing. Okay. Close, but not the same. Therefore, comfort each other and edify. Edify means? Edify, learn. Build up. So there you go. You, yours says build up. Mine says edify, and uh, I have no problem with that. One another, just as you also are doing. So very close, but not quite the same. Okay, so, um, uh, you know, before I get into this, I might as well say this now in case I don't remember it because it just came to mind is uh, uh, we every couple years, through, I think it's been four years now, Sergio and I will upgrade the computer so that the church doesn't have a... Uh, downtime. So he got a new computer, uh, picked it out for me, and uh, he came over last week and we spent the afternoon. He did. I, I say we because I'm there, okay? I don't do this stuff. But he transferred everything to the new computer and got it all ready. And um, while he was there, I, you know, you just kind of forget these things. Uh, this is an important point. It's just something that I just want to get out because I want you to think about it. Um, I've got a desk that I sit at, and um, it's a big desk, and nowadays it would be very expensive, but about eight years ago I got it, and uh, all handmade wood from the men that, uh, Amish up in Ohio. They actually drove it down, they carried it into the place and put it down, and it cost very little. It's amazing how little this cost at the time. I went online to see if I could get something to kind of match it for uh, just a little piece of furniture, and it was so expensive, I almost threw up. So I got this at the right time. But people now know that the Amish make this nice furniture. But 
having said that, um, it actually costs less than a desk from Home Depot that's made of particle wood. That's how cheap it was. It, just beautiful work they did. Anyway, um, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because as he was doing the computer, I was cleaning the desk. There's just piles of paperwork and just they're everywhere. Everywhere. It's, and there's just dust. I haven't cleaned it since the last time it was cleaned a year and a half ago. Sergio was like appalled. And so, uh, I mean, I'd like take a, a rag and wipe it and it would be just so full of dust, I had to take it outside and shake it off before I came back in. So I'm trying to do this while he's working because I don't have anything else to do and I want to look productive. And uh, when I, I said to him, when I cleaned this desk, everything was neat, everything was in order, and I said, I'm going to keep it this way. And I, I'm not going to let it go. And for three or four days, it, I kept it very neat. You know, I have this here, I have this here. Everything was where it needed to be. And then, you know, things just happen. And I gave him the example. You mow your lawn and you say, how nice it is. It looks so great out there. I'm going to keep it this way. And then a couple weeks later, you go out there and it looks terrible again because you've been neglecting it. And so the desk is not nice. And it didn't happen purposefully. I'm busy one morning and instead of putting my pen over here where it belongs, I put it on the desk over here. And then some mail comes in that I wasn't expecting and I, you know, I put it over here and I'll get to that later. And Sergio used the word, go ahead. Compromise. Compromise. It's not intentional, but we have to compromise our time at times, okay? I compromised my time in keeping the desk clean because other things are more important. Somebody needs, uh, you know, counseling on something in their life or they need to understand a Bible verse. And it takes me an hour to explain this from Matthew 24. And now I've lost an hour of time where two of those minutes would have been kept keeping my desk clean. So I, I, I don't have time to do it. It's not intentional. And when people come over and they see a completely messy desk, it's because I have other things to do. People that have a completely clean desk probably don't have a lot to do, and so they have time to clean their desk. That may be wrong in my thinking, but I compromised. And Sergio made a point that is absolutely correct, and I would like you to think about it. I read the Bible every morning for 37 minutes, or I read four chapters of the Bible every morning, or I spend my time reading the Bible with my wife every day, or the whole family, including our beautiful daughter, sits and reads the Bible, okay? We have to get ready for vacation. We're gonna skip the Bible reading just today. The next day, uh, we're a little pressed for time. We're only gonna read the Bible for 10 minutes. And then the next day, we gotta leave. Vacation starting, we gotta go right now. We'll read it later. If you compromise on reading the Bible, you will never go back to properly reading the Bible unless you force yourself to do it. I'm not going to force myself to clean my desk unless I just have an hour that I can kill while somebody is putting in a new computer system. I got nothing else to do. I need to do something and I'm completely in his way doing it so I might as well do it so that I annoy him while he's being beneficial to me, okay? I'm kidding, we had a good time together. Afterward, we had dinner and watched a movie. But, uh, it, I, it's really important, and this has been on my mind all week long since that happened, 
is that if you compromise in your going to church, I'm going to skip church today. And I'm not talking about the superior word because there are a lot of people that do not attend this church that listen to the Bible studies. They go to other churches, okay? And I know that, and that doesn't bother me. But if you say, I'm not going to go to church this week, it's going to be a lot easier next week to not go to church. And if you haven't gone for three weeks, it's going to be very easy for you to say, we're just going to stay and watch online. I'm not going to go anymore because it's so much more convenient to sit in my house and watch online. And then maybe you're going to say, well, you know, I don't have time to watch online today. And pretty soon you're not going to church at all. You're not even fellowshipping online instead of being with the people in the church. Uh, if you uh, attend Bible studies and you stop going to Bible studies, you're not going to pick that back up unless something really forces you to do it. You have a crisis in your life, your wife is mad at you and she says she's going to leave you and all of a sudden it becomes a priority to you again. Don't compromise on the important things in your life. You want to compromise on cleaning your desk or mowing your lawn, that is fine. Don't compromise on reading the Bible above everything else. Going to church to me is not as important as you being well-schooled in your Bible. It's very important to me, and I do not understand people that don't go to church. I don't understand that. They come once a month, or they set a date, and we're going to go to church on August 27th, but not the week after that. That's their thing, but I don't understand that. When I went to Grace Baptist, which is all the way out where Sergio and Rhoda live, and from my house it's a long drive, I uh, never missed the Wednesday night Bible class, even though... You know, I could have taught the guy instead of him teaching me. I went because I did not want to compromise on the Bible. And you'll always hear something that is important that you didn't think of. You know, unless the teacher is just a complete zero, you're going to learn something. So above all, please do not compromise on reading the Bible. Don't compromise on your prayer time. And don't compromise on your family time. Okay? Those are things that I think you should keep as a priority in your life. And I learned that last week while Sergio was doing my computer. I, I never thought about how messy my desk is as being a compromise, but it is. Because I don't want a messy desk. I want to have everything where I can get it, and I don't want to lose something important. I had a friend that uh, wrote me a letter, and uh, he helped the church when he sent me a letter. And I got the help obviously, but three months later, I found a letter that I had written to him that I did not mail to him, thanking him for the help. And I was so embarrassed. I got that right in the mail, and I apologized about that, because it's important that you don't compromise on certain things. But a desk isn't that important as long as you don't forget the important things on the desk, okay? I've said enough on that issue, but please do not give up on your Bible reading. Please don't do that one thing because we're going through the book of Thessalonians. You can't know if I'm going to teach you correctly or incorrectly today on 1 Thessalonians 5.11 unless you are already aware of what 1 Thessalonians 5.11 and all the verses around it say. You can't. I could teach you anything. I could say this is actually talking about peanut butter. And you have no reason to not believe me unless you know what is being said in this verse and all the surrounding verses and how it ties in with other areas of the Bible. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you have set yourself up for being one of those people I bring up on the uh, Sunday CG report every week or two in Africa. It started with 20 people they found buried in a cult, and now they're up to 400 people because they didn't read their Bible and they didn't know that they were being led down a primrose path. Please read the Bible. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. I better read that. Read it one more time because I... Therefore, yes. 
encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as in fact you are doing okay we're building you're just in time for the first verse because we had a little diversion on something you look wonderful Thank you. okay i got i won't say what i got on sunday i'll just leave it out but you look great okay uh one thessalonians 5 11 once again paul introduces the thought of verse 418 where he said therefore comfort one another with these words in that verse, he was telling them to comfort one another in the assurance that none in Christ will be lost and that all would be joined to him in glory. Does anybody disagree with that, that every single person that has ever been saved by Jesus Christ will be there? Right. If you don't believe that, there is something seriously wrong with your theology. No person that was saved has lost his salvation. No person. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, you need to rethink your theology. It, that's a really important precept right there. Now he is basing his words on the fact that this being joined in glory means that we are not to be included in God's wrath. Okay, you remember in Joshua, we've had a couple of sermons where uh, the Lord gives us something in typology. And then he gives us exactly the same thing in typology, but from a little different perspective. I mentioned this a sermon or two ago, and it happened during the last series of sermons, is that we are told one thing, Jesus fulfilled the law. The hanging of the king of Ai was a picture of that. It's a picture of Christ becoming our sin and he giving us his righteousness. That was, I think, Joshua chapter five. A couple chapters later, we have a uh, picture of five kings being hung. Now, why would the Lord do that? It's a picture of the law dying in Christ. It's because somebody could say, well, Genesis through uh, Numbers is fulfilled in Christ, but Deuteronomy is forever. Then, you know, Judaizers could do that. They could come and tell you that you're still under the law because he did not fulfill all of Deuteronomy, okay? And so you must observe the law of Moses. So the Lord gave us a second exact same picture but with a different viewpoint so that we understand that not only is the law fulfilled in Christ but all of the law is fulfilled in Christ all five books of the Old Testament are fulfilled well Paul is telling us one thing we're saved eternally but he is also saying that we are not to be included in God's wrath that's my description of what he's saying but understand that somebody could say, well, you're saved, but you may still be under God's wrath, and therefore you have to go through the tribulation period. God is giving us a word that tells us all of the aspects of what is going on so that we don't make the fundamental mistake that we have to go through half of the tribulation period or all of the tribulation period. He's telling us these things to pay attention to and to know that we are saved, we are saved forever, and that we are saved out of God's wrath. Not through God's wrath, we are saved out of it, okay? Um, we will not be included in God's wrath. Everybody see that? Does it, see, he is repeating things, and he's telling us in different ways because people are sheep, and sheep are stupid. stupid. That's, uh, if you, that offends you, it includes me as well. I'm a dummy, okay? I need to be told these things. The more that you read the Bible, and this goes right back to what I said to open us today, the more that you read the Bible, the less you give up on reading the Bible, the more you will be aware of these things. So that when I or some other teacher says something wrong, you'll say, well, that just doesn't sound right. And now you have this little thing going in your head. I need to go home and I need to find out about that because it's that important. Instead, we, we will obtain salvation through Christ Jesus. 
As he then noted in verse 510, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Once again, Paul is giving us a, he's covering all the conditions. Are those that are alive when Christ comes going to be raptured? Not the dead. What's going to happen to them? He goes through every possible thing so that we know all of the bases are covered with God. He doesn't leave anything out so that we can sit there and pull on our face and worry about my, my uh, grandmother that died last week isn't going out at the rapture. She's going. She has been saved and she's going to be raised and she's going to be out. Everything is methodically laid down. We are the ones that don't take the time to get into the word and to study it and to think on it and to contemplate it. Um, Jim and Linda, do you still read your devotions together every day? Okay. Sure. I, I know you do because you said that last week, but I thought maybe you compromised. Okay. No. So he told if me we just do, last week you do. If we do, we double up the next day. Double up the next day because they know that they can't let that go. You know, and I, I will hear people say that to me, and that kind of bothers me, and I'll just say it right now. Uh, we've been listening to your sermons, and we missed that one, and we never got back to it. And I think that's a key part of what we've been going through. You've missed that, and now you've lost an aspect of what's going on in that particular book or that particular series within that book. And I don't ever say anything to them. I don't say, well, you know, you need to go back and watch that. But I think... You, you've missed something that God is progressively revealing this stuff to us, this wonderful picture, and now you're missing, a, like, you know, a, what do you call it, pixels. you got a lot of pixels, and there's some pixels missing from your picture of what's going on. So I would ask that if you, whether it's me or some other pastor that you listen to, if he's going through a series on a particular issue, that you stick with that series. Don't miss it, because if you do, you're missing pixels, and you may come to a wrong conclusion that he only addressed in that one sermon. Now, I try, when I do sermons, to go back into uh, reference other things from other sermons so that you are being reminded of things. Even if you've heard it 10 times, maybe it'll help you, because I don't remember it all, so it's good to have these reminders. But try not to miss things, especially in today's world where everything's recorded in every church on the planet. Just go back and listen on a podcast or watch it, and you will be kept up on what you're being taught by that particular guy. Um, so uh, this is the basis for his exhortation, is uh, what he was just talking about there. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the basis of it. Because of this wonderful assurance, we are to, Paul's words, comfort each other and edify one another. The idea of the word translated as comfort is that we are to personally make a call on one another in their times of sadness, such as when a fellow believer is in, in Christ has died, okay? We should do that. We should check on people, call on them. I, you know, sometimes I really fail at that, and I, I always feel bad. Two o'clock in the morning, I think, I forgot to call that guy. His wife's in the hospital. Or, you know, if it's in Sarasota, I always try to go to the hospital. Okay, very rarely. It's funny, before the COVID epidemic, I spent a lot of time going to that hospital. I mean, we had, Linda alone had me in there for like months at a time because she had, you know, this replaced, then this, and then this, and then he had three things replaced. It's been very quiet. During COVID, they wouldn't even let you go in, which is, that's a crime. That's literally a crime against the people that are in that hospital. But uh, now that it's out, I haven't been to the hospital in months until Saturday, Ruby was in the hospital. And yes, I went after, well, I, I didn't have to tell you because I went there right after mission work. I got there and they said, 
they just discharged her and I said yes, yes. okay well, that's one of the people we tend to every Saturday in the projects and she was in the hospital and I thought you know I'm going to visit her before I go home I'm tired I got to get ready for church tomorrow but this is important and I got there and uh, I while I was up there it was in the section that Thor works in so I said do any of you know Thor Garrett and they all said oh yeah I said didn't know his father was so handsome did you and they were like what? you <laughs> they couldn't believe they were like you, and they even checked with them. Did anyone take pictures, like selfies? No, they didn't. They, they, I would have broken their camera if I did. But right yeah, they, they actually checked with him. Was that really your? <laughs> I don't look anything like my son. I, not at all. Okay, so um, let's see here. Um, yeah, comfort and edify one another. Um, yeah, I gave the example of a fellow believer who has died in Christ. You should visit, call, whatever, and uh, that's something I fail at. But at such time. We are to remind them of the promises of God, which Paul has penned to us. That missionary that I read before we started today, she's in China. She is about to be killed for her faith. She did get killed for her faith, along with her entire family, including a couple of little children. Okay. How do you stand strong in a situation like that unless you know what the word says? Sure. If you don't have a hope a 100% guaranteed hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, which people that believe you can lose your salvation do not possess. They can say, oh, I'm going to die tomorrow, and I know that I'm going to be with Jesus. But how do they know they're not going to screw up 15 minutes before they die? Okay, that is a flawed theology. It is not only flawed, it's damaged in thinking. They never okay. think they're the ones. Well, that's it. Yeah, you bring that up from time to time. It's always somebody else can lose like their, you, their salvation. You're going to lose your yeah. salvation. You, you're me. a bad person because you believe that you can't lose your salvation, and therefore you're going to lose your salvation. But I believe you can, and so I know that I'm not going to. It's like it's like peanut headitis. Anyway, um, uh, let's see here. At such time, we are to remind them of the promises of God, or if they already know the Bible, then we don't have to remind them of anything. Because they're laying there saying, I get to see Jesus really soon. Or I'm about to get my, my head cut off by these, you know, boxers. And I get to be with Jesus. It doesn't bother me at all. I tell you, when I carry my gun, which is legal in the state of Florida, so I can say that on YouTube, I don't carry it for Charlie Garrett. I carry it for the people that are around Charlie Garrett. Okay? If they take me out, they take me out. But I don't want to see people that are in a store or in a restaurant die because I didn't defend them. I left them. Yeah. I think I've said this. If I have, I apologize. But this is why I carry a gun. And it's the reason why another member in my family carries a gun. Is we listen to the same person testify to the U.S. Congress. It's a lady that was in Luby's in Texas. And she had a concealed permit. And she went to Luby's with her mom and her dad. And when she went into Luby's, she said, I'm going to Luby's. I don't need this. And she put it in her glove box. And she went in and she had breakfast or lunch with her family. And they were killed because she couldn't defend them because she left her gun in her glove box. And I said, I will never make that mistake. When I walk out of the house and I think, I'm only going to, and I, that's when I say, that's when I need it. When I think I don't need it. That's when I need it. And it's not for Charlie Garrett. It's because these people around me may not be saved. And they may not have a hope of assurance. And I am not going to be the person that allows them to not get the chance to be saved if I can help it. Okay? I may not walk up to everybody in the aisle at the store and say, can I tell you about Jesus? 
but I can at least do that with the actions that I possess. Because after I've taken out a bad guy, the news is going to come and they're going to interview me and I'm going to say, well, I'm a preacher and I believe in saving people's lives, not taking them. Go ahead. Somebody says you can lose your salvation. Is that and you don't have to answer now if you don't have it like, okay. right in your head? Uh, is is that a heresy or not? That, well, not a I, it's not a heresy. It's very bad doctrine. A heresy right. means that you will not be saved. Oh, okay. But I will tell you this: if somebody says that you can lose your salvation, they teach you that you can while you're being saved. That person has believed a false gospel, and he's not going to be saved because you have introduced false information. Works-based salvation. Works-based salvation, that's exactly right, and I tell people that. So it could be considered a heresy by the person that's teaching it if he teaches it while giving the gospel. If somebody is now saved and he goes to a church and they say, you can lose your salvation, they're already saved. You haven't damaged their salvation. You have damaged their walk with the Lord and their faith in the salvation they do possess because they were saved by Jesus. But you never want to introduce works into your salvation. That's a really good point because I'll tell you something. A guy sent me, I think it was yesterday. It was yesterday. He sent me one of Ray Comfort's videos. And I, when I did the doctrine series on, you know, remember Mike asked me to do those doctrine series. I think it was between Numbers and Deuteronomy. One of them I did on was eternal salvation. And uh, uh, maybe it wasn't during that one. It was uh, grace. It was the one on grace, okay? And so Ray Comfort and John MacArthur were the two people that I highlighted based on their false presentation of the gospel. John MacArthur believes in lordship salvation, okay? That's incorrect. I'm not going to get into that right now. You asked about a particular issue. Ray Comfort gives a different. He has the way of the master, and he does follow what Jesus says, but he takes it incorrectly in the age of grace. What he does is he's, uh, the way of the master is if somebody believes that they're righteous before God, you give them the law. That's what Jesus did. This guy comes up and he smiles. He says, well, I've done all of these things. And then Jesus says, but have you done this? And it is a reflection on him. I haven't done that. Then you're not meeting the demands of the law because the law includes that. So you give the people that think they're fine before the Lord the law. Somebody that comes up, like the guy that was at the temple, and he says, oh God, I'm not even worthy to raise my eyes to you. You don't need to give him the law. He already knows he's condemned. You give him grace. Okay, that's what, now, but that's a different dispensation, but that person is the person you would give grace. You know, Jesus died for your sins, what? He did everything for you, and all you need to do is believe. And that person will cling to the grace for the rest of his life because he's not an arrogant smuck that thinks I'm okay with God and he loves me because I'm a good guy, all right? Which is Charlie Garrett was that for many years. What I need is grace, and I realize that I've sinned before a holy God, and somebody gave me grace. They gave me the gospel, which is grace, and I received it, okay? So he asked, if you tell them that they need to do works, is that a, a, a heresy? Well, in Ray Comfort's case, the answer is yes. He's giving them a false gospel, and here's why. He interviewed somebody, and the guy was, you know, he was one of these guys that he knows everything, but he was very good to not get angry. He wasn't there, I don't want to talk to you anymore. He listened to Ray Comfort. He let him give his description, but Ray Comfort did what he always does. He brings in the law, and then he in this particular video, he went even further and he divided the law of Moses. I know you've heard this before and I want to explain it because he brought this up. It's a good point. 
the law of Moses, according to many people, is divided into two different precepts, civil and moral. Have you heard that before? The moral law, you must obey. The civil law was only for the nation of Israel. Can anybody here tell me what's wrong with that? Keep it short if you do. First, there is no such thing stated. The law is the law. One precept of the law, and you have broken all of the law. And there is no qualifying factor. You've broken a civil law. You've broken a moral law. Secondly, how many of the Ten Commandments are there? Ten. Okay. How many of the Ten Commandments are we required to observe today, and why? Nine of them. Nine of them. Which one isn't? The Sabbath. Is that a part of the moral law? You heretic! Okay, he's absolutely right. There's nothing mentioned by Paul. As a matter of fact, Paul completely dismisses the idea of observing a Sabbath. Why are you doing this? He, he does it in several ways in several times. Romans 14, 5, I think. Some of you observe one day. Some of you observe every day, no day. He says, let each be convinced in his own mind. The Sabbath is out. If the Sabbath is out, which it clearly is according to the New Testament epistles, then that means that a portion of the moral law is gone, and therefore there is no distinction between the civil and the moral. It is one codified body of law. Ray Comfort tells this guy, well, that's part of the civil law, and that doesn't pertain to you. But you have to do this and this and this under the moral law. And he's telling him this way, he's trying to give the guy grace forgetting that he's not a Sabbath observer himself. And therefore, he's violating the very law, if he's not observing the Sabbath, that he's supposedly upholding. So he's, he's giving a false impression of the law, and then he's telling them that they need to observe parts of the law, and then he's telling them that they must repent of their sins before being saved, when he tells them that it's grace. But if you have to repent of your sins, and the word repent means to change your change mind. Your mind. That's all the word repent means. We take the word repent and we apply to it something that it does not mean from Scripture. Okay? If you have to repent, meaning stop doing a sin before being saved, then it is not of grace. It is of works. I need... The only time Paul ever brings in repentance with salvation is repentance... Anybody? towards God. You're right. He got it. Repent towards God. Now, what does that mean? I am a Buddhist. I have a false impression of who God is. I need to repent. I need to change my thinking about God in order to be saved. I can't be saved by Buddha. I am a Muslim. I have an idea that Allah is God. I need to repent. I need to change my mind about who God is and how he is presented to me. I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God at all. My repentance towards God is that I need to change my thinking about God in order to be saved because there's only one God and he has sent his Messiah, the incarnate word of God, who is God, by the way. It's not there's two different, it's one God, but he is doing something in the redemptive narrative, okay? But to repent from sins as a condition for salvation is exactly what you just asked. You see that? You're, you're uh, smoking or whatever. Uh, let me think of something that, uh, uh, you're a drunkard. You need to repent of that, meaning stop being a drunkard before you can be saved. That is works-based salvation. 
you're a drunkard, you really need Jesus. He will save you and he can change your life. That's what you tell him. If you tell him he has to stop being a drunkard before he gets saved, he will never, ever get saved. That will be a weight around his neck forever. He'll go to AA, he'll stop drinking, but he will always, for the rest of his life, be, anybody? An alcoholic. I've got a, well, I can say this because he doesn't mind. We got somebody that attends this Bible class that is not here right now. I do mission work with him every week. He was an alcoholic, and to this day, he is an alcoholic. He just doesn't drink alcohol anymore, okay? But he will always be because it is something that affects you permanently. It is in your mind, and he relies on the strength of God every single day to not do that thing. There are people that are, you know, porn addicts. That's in their head forever. They may not be into porn anymore, but that is always with them. Drugs, etc. You know, the, the, what is it, the 12 steps? They say that uh, one of the 12 steps in Alcohol Synonymous is, I may have a drink again someday, but not today. That is the life that these people live. Okay, they're trusting in something else, hopefully in Jesus, but they're trusting in something else other than that bottle. Okay, so uh, that is, in other words, it is not a heresy to believe that you can lose your salvation as a person. But if you tell somebody in the gospel presentation, you can lose your salvation, so I want you to make sure that you're saved right now and you keep being saved, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God has given you grace as I said, I've said it a couple weeks in a row, grace is one of the hardest things in the world for people to get because we don't understand it. We always attach something to the grace we give to somebody else. It may not be outward, but it's always there lingering because we are fallen people and we're always, you know, I did this nice, nice thing for him and he's not living up to it. And now, and that grace is tearing at us. We may never say it, but it's tearing at us that I, you know, I gave that person $400,000 and he said he was going to do something and he didn't do it. And for the rest of my life, that's eating me up, right? That's not grace for me. It was grace for him if I don't say anything. But God doesn't feel that way. I gave my son for that guy's sins. He accepted that and I will not hold it against him when he falls. Because I understand that he's just a broken, fallible creature. That is grace. I have saved him despite himself, okay? If you can't get that, then you can't understand grace. Grace is grace. We are not, uh, it's the same precept as when people talk about uh, their father. My father always failed me, okay? And we take that and we shove it up in God's face and we say, I know that God is going to fail me. You hear it all the time from people. I just can't believe in God. He's, uh, he's you know, uh, uh, an ogre. He's a bad God, whatever. They take their human limitations of who their father is or whoever was in their family that treated them poorly and they apply it to him. That is not like God at all. God is perfectly good in all ways. He will never ever harm his children. If his children suffer death as that woman did, that's an earthly death that would have happened anyway. It may have happened in a worse way. It may have happened in a less worse way, but it doesn't matter because it's flesh. It has nothing to do with what God has promised his people. This is the life that we have to live out. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us when we're in a hospital, okay? Grace is grace. God will never remove that grace from you. I assure you of this. If you distrust what I said, please read the Bible and show me where I'm wrong, okay? But Burke is right. The only time that uh, repentance is brought into 
Paul's writings, which is the church age epistles for salvation is repentance toward God. That doesn't mean repentance of your sin. It doesn't mean repentance of whatever people try to impose on you. It means I need to think differently about the God that I have thought existed, whatever that God was. It could be self, like the guy that Ray Comfort talked to. He's thinking, I've got it all. You know, I don't need that. I'm, I'm all set, and there may not be a God at all. He's replaced himself with God is what he's done, okay? But he's never going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ with the presentation that he was given by Ray Comfort. It will never happen, okay? He may say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus now. He believed in a false Jesus. And Paul says, did you believe in a wrong Jesus, another Jesus? That means it's no Jesus at all. There's only one gospel. There's only one Messiah, okay? Grace is grace. Uh, let's see here. Um, at such time, we are to remind them of the promises of God, which Paul penned to us. The word edify means to build up. Did that answer your question? Was that okay? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. All right, I just, We're going to finish today now. Oh, well, yeah, we'll get done. It's, we got plenty of time. we got 45 Sorry. minutes. Oh, yeah, we might not get done with the book, but we'll yeah. get done with this verse. No problem. Um, the word edify means to build up. When another's faith is wavering, we are to take them to the word and build them up once again. And I will tell you that that is what, when people email me, and I, I get a lot of emails from people, and a lot of people don't attend the church, they don't even watch my sermons, but you know, somebody will say, you know, I got a friend, Charlene, he'll answer your email. And I'll get it out of the blue, somebody I've never heard from before, can you help me with this? And so this right here, uh, the word, lead them to the word and build them up once again. I get that all the time. And I may never hear from that person again. But if they want to be built up in the word, that's what I'm going to try to do for them. I'm going to try to lead them out of the pit that they're in, and hopefully they will apply that to their lives. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, that I've had people from my high school show up at my house, and they, Charlie, we need to talk. You know, she and I aren't uh, doing so well, and we need to straighten out our lives. And I give them information right from the word, and they never apply it. And six months later, they're either back at my house or they've broken up because they didn't get married. They didn't do the things that the word says to do. Okay. If you're not going to listen to what I have to say, then why even come over? But they want an easy answer to their situation. And it does not include church on Sunday and reading the Bible every day. It doesn't include that. And so, okay, I can't help you. Redirect people to the word redirect them to the word and don't compromise your reading of the word okay um assuring them that all will be fine and when i say assuring somebody that all will be fine once again you may die even though you're looking for comfort in your sickness you may uh, you know lose your mother even though you're looking for comfort in the fact that your mother is sick i'm not going to tell you that jesus is not going to take your mother and I'm not going to tell you that you're going to survive this illness. That is the Lord's prerogative. But I will tell you that if you believe in Jesus, he will take care of you. He will deliver you. I will say it. I was going to withhold it. I don't know why anybody wants to stay in this body. I don't know why anybody. When it's my time to go, I'm going to say, here we go. Take off this body of flesh and go be with Jesus. I have nothing here. I love Hedico. I love my children. The house is great. You know, the computer, the new computer works great. Okay, all these things are fun. They're not Jesus. Okay, I have no problem checking out of this place. And I don't know why anybody wants to cling to this life. One of my friends is always telling me that she knows people that literally cling 
to this life. And it, they're her friends that are old and that are saved. And I think, why? Why? I just want to go be with Jesus. That doesn't, you know what? You could say, well, that's greedy because your wife's still here. I'm going to spend eternity with her. She's going to be stuck with me for eternity. And all of you are too. Why would you worry about that right now? Okay? We're, this is going to be so much better. It's going to be so much better than what we're facing right now. People get upset at me when I say that, but this is how I feel. I can't change the thinking I have in my head that there is something way better than this place. I'll tell you what, I told Burke this before we opened today. The clock went off this morning, and I thought, I just, I, I can't get up. So I stayed three minutes longer in bed, which is very, usually I'm up before the clock goes off. I was literally not wanting to get up today, and I actually thought, what if I just turn over and close my eyes and go back to sleep? She's not working anymore. She's retired, so I, I have nothing that's gonna disturb me for the next couple of hours. And I thought, you know what? I need to get up. I've got to get that devotional out there. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And this is the Lord's work. And if I don't do it, somebody is going to be concerned. And I don't want to do that to them. So I got three extra minutes of sleep this morning and I got out of bed. But I did not want to. And someday I'm just going to be laying there and there's going to be dead Charlie. I'm not going to be worried about those things at all. Okay? All right. Uh, not to be morbid. It's just how I feel. Uh, the Lord has it all under control. Everything is fine. He will deliver you safely to your next home. Paul then finishes the thought with, just as you are doing. Yours is a little more, read yours. It's about two words longer. Just as in fact yes. you are doing. Okay, so they added in fact. This one is just as you are doing. Those at the, And it may be a, a difference in the text, or it may just be them, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'd have to check the text. But Paul finishes with, just as you are doing. Those at Thessalonica were following through with this. Paul knew that, but somehow it appears that a thought of doubt concerning those who had died had been introduced into their minds. Because of this, he was doing exactly what he was admonishing them to continue doing, comfort and edify. The very fact that he's writing this epistle to them means he's comfort, comforting them and he's edifying them, and yet in the epistle he tells them to comfort and edify one another. Do what I'm doing for one another. Keep this letter, you know, handy, and then read it to each other when somebody has a question, okay? And then eventually somebody wise enough was led by the Holy Spirit to say, let's collect this letter. I know there's a letter over there in Corinth, maybe a couple of letters over there. Galatia, I heard they got a letter. Let's get all these together. Let's keep them safe and secure because he has given us this information. What a great book he's, what a great book God has given us. It's so wonderful and it's, um, Somebody emailed me a day ago, and he asked about uh, some friends were kind of coming out of a, a cultish situation, and he said, uh, they're starting to read the Gospel of Thomas and a couple of the other, you know, uh, they're called uh, false gospels. And I thought, hey, there's something in us that wants to be disobedient. There's Sensation. Some, yeah, well, it's not that. They're coming out of a cult, and they can't, they can't seem to understand the simple message of grace, and they, they have to cling to something that is, is sensational. Well, it, but it's not really sensational. That's not, it's well, it's not. It, if you've ever read it, it's not. That's not their problem. Sensational is like the rapture, and sensational is like, I gotta read the book of Revelation 400 times. This is something that is, it's like when the people in the Catholic Church, I said this a, a few months ago, I think during a prophecy update, is it when the Catholic Church in New York was having all of its uh, 
um, uh, sexual stuff. Maybe it was a year ago now, and the people were leaving the Catholic Church. They were completely disaffected. They did not go to Baptist churches. They didn't go to, you know, evangelical churches. Where did they go? Most of them. Mormon. There's something that says, I'm in a bad situation. I'm just going to stay in a bad situation and just change, change rooms. Okay? And that's what these people are doing. They're going from one cultish situation to another. It's not sensation because Mormonism is not sensational. It's just wrong. And so they're clinging to something that says, I need to be controlled. Or I need to not believe the grace of God. I don't know if it's satanic. I don't know if it's demonic. I don't know if it's just something in human nature that says, I just, I can't accept the simple gospel. I've got to go to something else and I've got to believe that. I don't know what it is, but I, I pray. One of the things that he asked about, here's the question. Apparently in one of those things that they were reading, it says that if you, um, Jesus had to be married to Mary because if you were single, you could not go to the temple. And I didn't answer his email right away. And the reason why is because, um, you know, I, I wanted to think about it. I was going to the mall and I thought I'll get back to him and answer later. And then I didn't answer the whole email. I just remembered when I was cleaning the bathroom this afternoon, I forgot to answer one of his things. Anyway, um, the important part was the Bible part. Um, can you tell me what's wrong with that? You, you, you have to be married to go to the temple? Anybody? But give me an example. Who wasn't married that went to the temple? Jesus. Paul. Well, no, they're saying that Jesus married Mary because he had to be married to go to the temple. And he said, can you give me any help Mary. on this? Was Paul married? No. 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 Did Paul not in the book of Acts several times go to the temple? He did. Right? I mean, it's that simple. It's, that's just one example of how many times. It, you, do you know that Joshua is not recorded as having any children and he never mentions his wife? Right. So we can assume that, and that'll be in a sermon coming up, maybe this week or in another week, whatever. But, you know, that's an argument from silence, but it's a strong argument that the Lord wanted us to think he was single, okay? We know that Moses was married. We know that he had children. Once again, that's an argument from silence. It's not definitive, okay? But Paul, we know, was single. Paul, we know, went to the temple. People get these things and they say, I'm going to believe something perverse because I've been believing something perverse all along and I can't accept that it's not at least partly perverse. Okay? Anyway, you've got to go to the Word and you have to know what that Word is. It does not include the Apocrypha. It does not include the Gnostic Gospels. It does not include the Pseudepigrapha. Okay? The Book of Jubilees. The Book of Jasher. You know, Little Genesis is the Book of Jubilees. It doesn't include those things because those are not part of what God gave us like in the canon scriptures. What's that? It's like legions. He kept getting new and new. Yeah, that's right. And he just kept going. That's right. So that's when you're in the devil's breath, he, he puts you somewhere else. Put you somewhere else. And he caught all the that's, that's right. Man. That's right. Well, it, you know, it, one of the examples. They come in at one time. They come. Yeah, these demons just come one at a time. They come in there. And so another example of exactly that is when he says a person has seven demons and he cleans his house or he has a demon. He cleans his house. He sweeps it and gets it in order. And then that demon goes through arid spaces and it thinks, 
I was happy where it was, where I was. And so he goes and gets seven other demons more wicked than himself, and they go in the condition of the man is worse off than at the first. What is Jesus telling us? He's telling us that if we don't clean out those demons and fill ourselves with Jesus Christ, then we're just setting our... We can be... Okay, I'm a drunkard. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get myself off alcohol. I got my house all cleaned out and I don't go to Christ seven more demons worse than that are going to come. The alcohol is going to come back. The drugs are going to come. The addict, All the other addictions are going to come along with it because we didn't replace the empty void in our lives with God. Now, Jesus was talking about God at the time. He is God, but they didn't understand that. But that is the point he was making. If you don't fill yourself with what is proper, you will be filled with what's improper. And that's what these people are doing. And I pray they don't do that. Okay, they're they're wanting to get out of what they're in, but they need to get into something. And yes, the rabbi that's on the church on Macintosh up by Brookville. Okay, he says that Paul was married because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin requires married men. Okay, part of it. That that's what they he teaches. Did does the Bible say that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin? Well, <laughs> no. He was, it never says he was a member of the Sanhedrin. It never says that in scripture. That is inserted by somebody's presupposition, okay? And even if that's true, we don't know if that is actually true or not. They just say that about Paul, but it never says Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was not a member of the 70, because if he was, guess what he would have said in the long list of things that he could have boasted in? That that would have been right at the top. I was a Pharisee. Being a Pharisee does not mean you're a member of the Sanhedrin. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, okay? I was of the stock of Israel. I was of the tribe of Ben. He goes through Hebrew of Hebrews or whatever. That's what he says, not Pharisee of Pharisees. If he was a member of the Sanhedrin, that would have been right there below Israel. It would have been Abraham, it would have been, or Hebrew, Israel, Pharisee, I'm sorry, Sanhedrin, Pharisee. He would have gone down the list and he didn't. That's not true and I've heard that before. The Jewish people want to say that to justify the unjustifiable, as they will do with everything when they don't want to come to Christ. I'm not talking about just the Jews. I'm talking about anybody that doesn't. They will tear apart Scripture in order to harm other people's thinking about Scripture. So I, I, that's just, it's not in Scripture, and if it's not in Scripture, it doesn't matter. I don't care if anything outside of the Bible says Paul was a, fair, uh, a member of the Sanhedrin. There's no, no record of that. But even if there was, like Josephus, Josephus writes a lot of things. Okay, and Josephus was a great historian. Okay, but a lot of things that Josephus says about, for example, Moses or about the history of the Jewish people does not match what? <coughs> the Bible. And therefore, I would never trust what Josephus says about that issue. Or, if, or history. In archaeology, Josephus is a lot of errors. A lot of errors. We cannot hold to Josephus as anything other than a extra biblical reference that may confirm things that are not in the Bible. But I would never trust his writings when, I've cited him in the past, if it supports the Bible, but I, you have to be careful citing anything outside of scripture because the scriptures are God's word. Everything else is a bunch of stuff that we are fallibly putting together in this world, all right? So be careful what you believe with that, but there is nothing in scripture that tells us Paul was with the Sanhedrin. And I do not believe for the life of me that he was. That would have been right there in that that list of boastings, and it's not. So, um, 
Let's see here. Paul, that, oh yeah, uh, Paul knew that somehow it appears that a thought of doubt concerning those who had died, I've read this already, had been introduced in their minds. Because of this, he was doing exactly what he was admonishing them to do. They would now be able to do this with the tangible proofs of an apostolic letter to them. This letter is proof because he's an apostle. He is under the inspiration of scripture. They have nothing else to rely on. And this is a good key point that I already brought up once in the class today. We have nothing else, or even what that rabbi said, we have nothing else to rely on for our interaction with the Lord and our living our lives in the presence of the Lord than this word. There's nothing else. There's nothing else that we have that is authoritative. What does it say? All scripture is divinely inspired, breathed out by God, theopneustos. Okay, uh, wait a minute. That was, is that? Uh, we got Peter said one and Timothy said one and I might have uh, crossed them. Anyway, all scripture is uh, uh, inspired of God or whatever. Go ahead, Bert. Timothy. Yeah, that's Timothy. And then Peter says, oh, um, yes, that's the, the word. They're led along, carried along by the, that's right, holy men of God are carried along. That's right. So there's two, and I always get those mixed up in my head. And the reason why, shame on me, in college, I had to remember both of those verses. And so I did. I memorized them, and I got it right on the test. But ever since then, they've kind of melded into one. And so I'm always mixing the two. Always. Anyway, um, let's see here. Uh, they would now be able to do this with the tangible proofs of an apostolic letter available to them and now available to us. Should someone come in and attempt to reintroduce doubt or make conflicting statements, they would only need to go to the Word to prove the truth of the matter, which is exactly what we are to do. Okay. You say this, and I tell you that the Bible does not say that. Now, this is a big, difficult book, and there's a lot of things, and you can take things out of their intended context, and you can come up with pretty much anything in here. But if the context is maintained and the person knows this word well enough, he will be able to say what you are teaching is not correct. And that's why I said I opened us with compromising on the word of God. Don't compromise on the word of God anything else in your life don't rightly compromise dividing. rightly divide as well but uh, i i will say this i've said this in a sermon so you've heard this recently within the past year or two but one thing i will never do is trust somebody that is giving a bible study and right behind him on the bible study he's got a placard that says rightly dividing the word of truth why why does anybody remember the reason i gave because he is now claiming that he is rightly dividing the word of truth he is, I've got it, you must listen to me. I will never try, if I see that, I don't even watch the video. If somebody sends me a link and somebody's got that somewhere behind him, rightly dividing the word of truth, because that would be Charlie Garrett presupposing that I am rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm hoping I am. At the beginning of every single class, I always say, Lord, if something I say isn't right, please have these people not, not carry it with them. Take Correct me, send me. Check him out to see if he's... Check him out. The Bereans, check him out. But if he claims that he is rightly dividing the word of truth, he has set himself up as your authoritative leader. I will not watch that person. I've seen that before, and I think, what an arrogant thing to put up there. I am the one that's rightly dividing the word of truth. Charlie Garrett has no idea except from my own human perspective, okay? And if I'm wrong and I'm saying this, I have now misled you. 
And so I'm going to tell you, as I always do, please go home, listen and verify what you have heard and read your Bible so that when you hear me teach, you can say, you know what Charlie said doesn't sound right. And we can sit down or we can email each other and we can work it out together. And either I'm going to find out I'm wrong or I'm going to find out that I was right and you're wrong or we can both be wrong, but we can't both be right. Okay. So the what? Follow, follow the Bible. Paul's writings for this dispensation, yes, he's the one that gives us the doctrine for the church age, absolutely. He said to follow him as I follow Christ. Yeah, that's right, as I follow Christ. Okay, um, so uh, let's see here, conflicting statements. Okay, life application. That's great, we got plenty of time. <laughs> How can we know if Mormonism is right or wrong? Oh, there you go, Mormonism. What about the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses? How can you know? Okay, one of the things that they will tell you in the Jehovah's Witnesses, you're using the wrong Bible. You need to use the New World Translation of the Bible. Can anybody tell me what's wrong with that? It's their version of well, the version. What's wrong with That's true, but King James only people say that as well. What's wrong, wrong with them telling you that you need to use the New World Translation of the Bible to get the proper doctrine? What? Control. Well, but what's wrong with, think of the very basic. one. No, 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 no. There's, there's many No, 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 no. No. No, no, no. They started with the New King James Version. I'm sorry, with the King James Version. Charles Taz Russell used the King James Version. So if he came up with that doctrine from the King James Version, then it must be that you don't need the New World Translation in order to come to the faulty conclusion that they came to. You can do it right out of the King James Version. And then the King James people will say, don't ever read the New King James or the NIV or blah, blah, blah. Why? Because you can get sucked into a cult. Every major cult that came out of the 19th century, every one of them began with the King James Version. Every one of them, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, all of them used the King James Version. So the King James people are wrong from one perspective. The Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong from another perspective. It's not the fault of the translation. It's the fault of the people that are not schooled in the Word of God. That's where this is coming from. You all had good suggestions, but that's not what I was thinking of. There, when they come to you and they say, you need to read the New World Translation of the Bible because you won't come to the right understanding unless you do, then all you need to do is say, what Bible did Charles Taz Russell use? That's all you're going to get from him. He used the King James Version. And if he came up with his bad theology from there, then you don't need the New World Translation to go any further down that bad rabbit hole. Okay? How can we know if Mormonism is right or wrong? What about the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses? What about any other false sect? The answer is, whatever conflicts with, contradicts, or what is already of, uh, or contradicts what is already written in God's word is to be rejected. That's it. Now, you can say, well, the King James Version says, and you go to another version, you say, well, that doesn't say it. Now you've got a problem that you have to actually start studying because uh, translations can be wrong, okay? They can have errors in them. That's not the fault of the source text. That's the fault of the translator mistranslating something, okay? Um, and so if this says this and this says this, then you have to go back to the originals 
and you have to find out what's being said. That, that's necessary. There's a point where you actually have to get to somebody that can tell you what the text itself says. And obviously, there are differences in some source texts, all right? There's nothing, nothing that is uh, salvific in nature that is different or that will harm you in those source texts, okay? God does not allow that. But unless you cause, and here's what the Jehovah's Witnesses do with the uh, New Testament, okay? They've uh, made a fundamental uh, leap of stupidity with what they've done. They, with the, the um, New World Translation, New Testament, they say, um, this is not correct, and here's the reason why. You have to go back to the originals, uh, and they, they will give you the, the original document that they use, Aleph, or something like that for the New Testament. All right, which would be, I believe, the uh, uh, the translation by Shem Tov, uh, which is uh, I don't know if you've heard of Shem Tov's translation of the New Testament. It's a Hebrew rendering of the New Testament, and he wrote this. He translated this as a polemic against Christianity, not for Christianity, and so he changed like Lord into Jehovah and stuff like that. And there are several of these Hebrew texts out there that are like this. And they reference those when it matches what they want you to believe. What is the problem with that? When they say you have to go back to that original in order to um, uh, understand what is being said. The problem is that the New Testament was written in which language? Greek. Greek. So they're, they are citing a Hebrew translation of the Greek and telling you it's an original translation. And so they've, they've gone to a completely new level of stupidity with what they're teaching you, okay? On one of them, right at the top, this is a English translation of the Greek New Testament into Hebrew. And right at the top of it, they say, they dedicate it to Her Majesty, the Queen of England, blah, 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 and they say, right there, right at the very top, translated out of the original tongues, meaning from Greek, to Hebrew, and they cite this, and people say, oh, it must be from the original because the Jehovah's Witnesses said it, when it's not original at all. And it says it right at the top of it. All you need to do is go to that, that text, and it says right there, translated out of the original, meaning the Greek tongues. But people aren't willing to do that, and so they have faulty theology. If you're willing to commit your life to the Lord Jesus, you should be willing to submit your time and effort to finding out what his word says. Finding competent people that are willing to check these things out if you can't. If you don't know how to do that, somebody can help you. But if you just say, I'm going to believe my pastor about the King James Version, and I'm going to hold to that forever and ever, you will have faulty theology because it is riddled with error. If you're going to say that about the New World Translation of the Bible, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you will have faulty theology. Please check things out. Don't just believe somebody because he knocks on your door and sounds sincere. Okay? It's, your, your entire life, you may be saved, but your entire life of happiness in Christ is dependent on you checking things out. I assure you of that because I went to the Jehovah's Witnesses. I was there for three months because I'd never seen anybody in the Episcopal Church ever open the Bible. I'd never seen it. And they came knocking on, well, they didn't knock. They came into my store and can we talk? And I'm like, okay. And they pull out this Bible and they're going through it and I'm like, they're going in the Bible. And so I thought, well, they must be teaching the truth. So down to the kingdom hall I went for three months. Then in those three months, after 12 weeks of being at the kingdom hall, I had read the Bible 12 times. 
because I went from Genesis to Revelation in a week. I had 70 hours a week sitting there and I'd read it once a week. So in three months, I'd read it 12 times and they hated me. Boy, I would ask them all kinds of, and they couldn't answer. They kept saying, well, I'm going to go to the elders. And then they never answered the questions. And finally, one day I was in there and they said something in the church and I walked out and I said, well, let me check this out. Cause I knew where it was, went to Revelation. I looked at it and I said, well, I'll never go there again. You know, you just have to be willing to check things out. That's all you have to do. So please read your Bible, hold fast to it. And if something doesn't sound right, check it out. Okay. Um, uh, did I read that? Uh, yeah, um, whatever conflicts or with which contradicts or is what is already written in God's word is to be rejected. The word is written. It is fixed, it is firm, and it is forever. Let us not be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine which is given through the trickery of men. Instead, let us stand fast and firm on the truth of the word of God. That's what I would ask of you today. Don't compromise in reading the Bible. 512. Final instructions. Final instructions. Wow. Now, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard amongst you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Okay, you got two extra, or one changed and one extra word. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and blank admonish you no who there okay so very close but they added in a who or they dropped one out either way okay paul has now completed the main thoughts of the epistle the last main thought was the information about the coming of the lord at the rapture and what will occur after that has come to pass with that behind him he now gives various exhortations which are intended to keep the church strong and properly aligned with what is expected of them to begin that thought, he starts with honoring the leadership without respect for those who carry the load within the church. Nothing else will run efficiently. To begin, he says, and we urge you brethren. He is addressing the church, which is comprised of believers. Though non-believers may have been present, and though many uh, have read his words since then, his words are directed to those who are a part of the fellowship. In this, he prompts them strongly, using a word translated here as urge. It is a word that indicates special consideration should be given because of the intimate relationship which is involved between them. His urging is then defined with the words, to recognize those who labor among you. The word indicates having an appreciation for them and their labors based on their nature and position. The various churches at the time of Paul were not set and they were not organized structures. Unlike Israel, which had a set standard of worship, set priests, set times for various occurrences, and so on, this was not the case, nor is it the case today. Each church and each denomination today has its own structure and hierarchy. That is why I know I've said this many times in the past. I'll say it again. I can't stand when somebody says, we're going back and we're starting an Acts church. There's no such thing as an Acts church, okay? There's no such thing. And when somebody says that, they don't know what they're talking about. There's no structure given for any church. You don't meet at this time on this day of the week nothing. Your church needs to be this size. It needs to be this long. It needs to have a labor there. None of that is there. 
you have to sacrifice at this time of the day and the incense has to be presented. This type of incense, none of that, okay? The only thing that is given for church instruction as far as structure is concerned is from the pastoral epistles where he tells what the uh, qualifications for an elder and a deacon are, which also means an overseer, okay? And he gives them the instructions, but other than that, there is nothing that says the church has to be, you know, illuminated, certain amount, you have to have one of those stupid things that says exit here, right over the door, like you can't figure it out. None of that is mandated. Sarasota County may find it compelling to put that stupid sign over there, but that is not in the Bible. I know that was kind of funny, but it just, it's annoying that you have to, oh, there's an exit. I mean, this this building is what, eight feet long? It's not like if there's a fire, we can't get out of here, okay? It's it just, I, whatever. Okay, but there, none of that is defined in scripture. It, none of it, okay? So um, I, I'll read that again. Unlike Israel that had a set standard of worship, set priests, set times for various occurrences and so on, this was not the case, nor is it the case today. Each church and each denomination today has its own structure and hierarchy. Okay, um, I've got a question for you. I've got to read this because it came to mind. You guys, we might get raptured and you might never hear this. So I'm going to read you what I typed in the comment today. For uh, um, I just want to see if any of you can figure out where I tied this in with. Um, Acts 19, and it's, it's probably about verse 35 or so. Let's see here. Greatest Diana of the Ephesians. Um, verse 35, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus. Yeah, it is. Verse 35, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Zeus? Okay, the word temple guardian literally is translated as sweeper, temple sweeper. They, it used to be a derogatory term, but it became a term of of honor. I'm sweeping in the temple of the great goddess Diana. Where is a comparable verse in the Old Testament? Better to serve at the door, right? Doorkeeper. Doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Thank you. That came to my mind immediately. When I saw that temple sweeper, I thought of that verse immediately. Better to be, and who is writing that? Probably David, it was in the Psalms. No, no, no. Son of Korah. Remember Korah's rebellion? They weren't priests and they wanted to be priests and so he went and tried to rebel. They were Levites. They weren't even priests. They were just Levites at the door of the temple. They weren't allowed to go in and do the sacrifices. They weren't allowed to offer the incense. But better to be at the a keeper of the door at the temple. And that's what came to my mind there. So just so you know, that's a long commentary this morning. I was done like two hours later. Usually it's a couple minutes. Well, maybe not, but it was a long one. But I was so tickled with that when I saw those words, temple sweeper, because nobody translates it that way. But just to think that a Levite sat down and said, I'm happier to be at the door of this temple, even though I can't go in, even though I can't offer the, the incense and the sacrifices, this is where it's at. I'm right here in the temple of the Lord. And we should feel that way as Christians. I am at the temple of the Lord when I'm living in the presence of Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the fulfillment of every type and picture of the temple, every one of them. And therefore, if we are in Christ, we are right at the door. We're right there in Christ, okay? Um, 
let's see here. Where was I? We're in five. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Paul's words are to each and any church, those within this hierarchy and who conduct the ministerial tasks of the church are to be recognized for their efforts. The word translated as labor gives a sense of laboring until worn out. If you're going to labor for the Lord, wear yourself out for the Lord. Uh, a couple days ago, I, I tell you what happened. Um, I have the pipes outside of the house, uh, the sewer pipes that need to be replaced. Okay, and um, all of the ones inside except one that needs to be lined. I have one that needs to be replaced. And I said I'm going to do that because it's not a big job. It's four-inch pipe, but it's uh, got one, two, three, four, uh, four things, and uh, yeah, just fern co-couplings. We call them handy bands because they just band on really quick, and you tighten them down. That's it. But um, so I was just going to tear it all out. And um, but I said, give me a bid on it anyway to the plumber. And so he did. When he gave me a bid for the water piping, he gave me a bid on that separately. He said, if you want us to do it, it will be $400. And I said, I can do it myself for a lot less than that. Okay, so I, uh, yes, and I was, the agreement was I dig everything out and have it ready for them and they'll just replace it. And I said, I've already done the hard work. I can do it for a lot less than that and I've already done the work. So I said to Hedico, okay, I was just completely worn out. I was just complete, I actually worked so hard and I was sweating so much without drinking that I got myself sick. I got dehydrated, stomach cramps all the next day. I was miserable. But I said, Hedico, it's almost the end of the day. I said, PR distributors will be open. They're up on 12th Street. They'll be open till five. I'm leaving right now and I'm gonna go get the parts and I'll do this tomorrow, okay? I drove up to PR distributors, haven't seen the guy in like 15 years since I left uh, one of the plants I worked at. I walk in, I said, I know you don't remember me, but I, but I used to run. He said, Charlie, okay. I guess I'm, it's, I'm that ugly where well, yeah, I don't, you know. Anyway, so um, I said, I need to get these parts. And he said, um, I said, they said they would do it for $400. And he said, it's gonna be a lot more than that for the parts. And I said, what? He said, yeah, PVC has really gone up a lot. I had no idea. Just, it would have been like $450. They're gonna do it parts and labor for 400. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So, so I'm not doing that, but I've got everything ready for them. But the point that I'm making is that I wore myself out for a sewer pipe to say $400. Am I not willing to do that with the word of the Lord? Am I not willing every day of my life? I'm talking you, I, all of us. Are you not willing to say, I am going to read this word. I'm going to think on what I've been told. Are you going to wear yourself out for the Lord? Or are you not? Because you're going to wear yourself out for something. You're, something is going to be your priority in this life. And it, if it's not the word of God and the love of the Lord Jesus, then you are misdirecting your priorities. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. You can wear yourself out for all kinds of things during the day, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sergio and I are always talking about what wears us out during the day because he's each getting other. tired. What? Each other. Yeah, we wear each other out. Thanks a lot. No. That hurt. That really hurt. Okay. Um, but anyway, are you willing to wear yourself out for the Lord? Okay. So um, let's see here. Um, uh, gives a sense of laboring until worn out. Thus, we got to go. Says diligently. Diligently. I like that. That's a good word. We've only got five minutes, so no more diligently. I got, I, boy, I've got a bit to go. This, thus it is wearisome toil. Diligently, wearisome toil. 
If the elder, pastor, preacher, or whatever other designation is given in any particular church is sincere about his duties, he will expend himself tirelessly in them. This is what Paul actually anticipates in his choice of words. Wear yourself out for the Lord. To further define this, he continues with, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The words over you indicate one who provides the needed example to direct others. This is through positively impacting them by example. They are those who are set before the church and to whom the church then looks to for spiritual instruction and guidance. You're not looking to your pastor for physical guidance because if you were, you'd all be barefoot right now and I don't see anybody barefoot, okay? Spiritual guidance is what you're looking for, okay? The words admonish you indicate the exerting of positive pressure on someone's logic or reasoning. In other words, such a person is one who urges others to choose God's best for themselves. If you listen to sermons that do not challenge your logic and reasoning, you should listen to different sermons, okay? I, and I know people that all day long, that's all they do is listen, uh, all day long. They have like 10 preachers that they listen to and all day. If one of those preachers is not challenging your logic and your reasoning, drop him and put somebody else in there because that you need to be able to think through issues about God. Not just, you know, you're gonna be blessed today and you know, that kind of stuff is never going to satisfy. It's just gonna tickle you onto the next sermon, okay? Your logic and your reasoning. Paul acknowledges that such leaders are to be appreciated for their labors because they have chosen the weighty task of training and instructing others in the most important issues that any person could face. They are issues which deal with family, work, death, marriage, salvation, condemnation, holiness, morality, and on and on. Most of these issues are highly personal, and therefore they are sensitive and truly a source of wearing out the leader. Life application. One person unloading on a minister might not seem like much. But when there is an entire church full of people, many of whom need to unload at any given time, it becomes, and I did not type this, I, I, maybe I typed it after I started being a pastor. You may have it written down somewhere. This wasn't for Charlie Garrett's sake. This is just a general truth for any pastor, okay? Um, uh, many of whom need to unload at any given time, it becomes a great burden on him. Well, you say, well, I, I got to give Charlie my, my burden today. Well, maybe 15 other people did too. You don't know. I'm just giving an example. I'm not saying that happened to me. Time is precious. And so each person that ministers, that the minister attends to should realize this and appreciate the effort that he makes. One of the things that uh, is a little troubling to me, and it happens, we'll say eight times a day. It may not be that many, but usually eight times a day or maybe 10, sometimes four. But I will get sent a video that's an hour and 35 minutes long. I got one just before I started, and it says, please watch this. If I get eight a day, I would never get anything done at all, even one. I don't get that much time with Hedico every single day. I, I mean, literally, we will sit and watch TV. Right now we're doing <coughs> The Avengers. We had Paul Harvey, uh, not Paul, uh, uh, what is um, the lawyer guy? Um, uh, 
Come on, you're watching Perry it. Mason. Perry Mason, thank you. Perry Mason, we did that, and then we went into Colombo, and we get, it, so it takes us forever to get through a series, but we're watching the old British Avenger series. It's so good. I, I grew up with uh, the newer character. The first two seasons were with an older character, and she was great, and now we got this lady. I just remember her when I was young, and then uh, Steed, and they, they go on all these adventures. It's very good. If you want to see something clean, nothing gross, watch the old Avenger series, and it's just cool. Anyway, um, but that's all we ever get time for normally. And so if you send me a video that's an hour and a half long, probably you're one of seven people or eight people today that's done that, and I'm not going to watch it. So uh, I told the guy, I went back and I said, it's an hour and 39 minutes, and not much chance of me watching this, okay? If you have a point to make, just give me, some people are really good about that. Would you watch from 44.50 to uh, 46? And that's all they wanted me to watch in a one and a half hour video? Thank you. Because the rest of it, I have, and I don't even know what the context of the whole video is. So they send it, would you give me an evaluation on it? I have no idea what they want. So don't do that to your pastor if you have a pastor. He doesn't have time for it. Heavenly Father, we thank you very, very much for the chance to come into your presence and to share in your word what a treasure it is. Lord, I pray that anybody that has watched this uh, uh, video today or this live uh, Bible study would be willing to make the commitment to reading your word and never compromise on setting it aside even for one day because that one day will lead to two, two will lead to four, and in a week or so they will never pick up their Bible and read it again. And so, Lord, please instill in us the desire and the strong urge to continue to pursue your word even when we're sick, even when we're tired, even when everything else is collapsing around us. We need to be grounded in this word or we're just going to go further down the hole. Please keep us that in our minds. Keep us on the straight and narrow path. And may you be glorified as we seek out your son, the son that you gave for our sins in this word. And we pray this in his beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. 2017. 2017. Oh, so it's only been about five or six years. So uh, whatever. No, uh, 17, four, uh, seven years. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, there you go. All right, anyway, uh, goodbye, everybody. We love you. I'm going to push the button here. Uh, let's see here. Break.